Uh, we have a guy in our church that owns his own, uh, his, his own clothing line, and we got into this series called Legacy, and last week he gifted me uh, this, this uh, custom-designed shirt. I don't know how much design went into it. It's just the word legacy, but I'm thinking it's a black shirt, and it, hugs, and it, and it, and it, hides, it hides, hides my chubby body. So, uh, like, how many guys discovered that the bigger you got, the more black you wore? Anybody? Anybody? All right. All right, just saying, if anybody wants to buy me a shirt, make it black. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, anyway, so I don't know if I'm going to get a new t-shirt every time we do a new series, but I'm excited to find out. So anyway, I'm wearing it today. Uh, And if you're in this service, thank you. It was a very, very kind gift. Uh, Most of the things that we have in life, most of the things that we own are amoral. That just means that they're not in and of themselves good or bad. Uh, It's how they're used that would determine the morality of, of the object. And even then, I don't know it's the object, it's just how the person is using it that would make it moral or immoral. I'll give you an example. Uh, fire is awesome in a fire pit. How many guys have a fire pit? Raise your hand. Who's already used it this year? Raise your hand. Who is not yet? It's about, ta- ta- about that time. Uh, fire is awesome in a fire pit. It stinks in your living room curtains, right? You wouldn't want fire in your living room. So it's, it's context. That's the, so fire in and of itself is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's how it's used that would be good or bad. A pinch of salt is perfect in spaghetti sauce. How many guys would agree? Any Italians in the room? Just a pinch of salt in the spaghetti sauce? But a pinch of salt in my eyes, that's not as awesome. A can of gas, a full tank, of, a full can of gas next to my lawnmower in the garage is, man, that's a beautiful sight, right? Especially in the spring. But a full tank of gas Underneath the seat of the person sitting next to me on the, on the airplane, not as cool. A hammer is great on a nail, but not on my thumb, right? And there's a lot more potent things that are the same way, like sex. And the sex is a gift from God, but can also, in, in the context that God prescribes, is a beautiful thing. And outside of that is, is wrong. Uh, power is, is in and of itself not a, not a bad thing. It's, it's whether or not how, how it's used, right? That would make it moral or immoral. Fame in and of itself is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's what somebody does with their fame that would make it good or bad. Influence is the same way and money is the same way. Uh, each of these things is a gift uh, that can be leveraged for good or could be misused. Misused? Sure. Misused for something uh, some, something bad. Uh, my dad, and I'm going to get to quote my dad. I, call, I, I, I called my dad on the, or texted my dad on the way in this morning. I said, bro, I, I call my dad bro, right? Everybody does? Anybody call your dad bro? Anybody ever been punched in the face when you did? Just check him. All right. Not that your dad ever would do that. Um, but yeah, so I texted him this morning and I said, I, I think I actually said, dude, I quote you three times today in church. You're going to have to listen to today's teaching. But this is my first quote from my daddy. And he used to say, everything you own is a tool or an idol. Isn't that good? Everything you own is either something that you would leverage for the glory of God and the good of others or it's something that you wouldn't leverage for the glory of God and the good of others because you place too much value on it. Do you get what I'm saying? Like you might actually value that thing more than God even, right? So everything you own is a tool or an idol. Uh, we're talking about leveraging our lives uh, in this series on legacy to leave more than just memories, to leave more than just memories. We want to, and this is the second dad quote. My dad says this all the time. He's 74 years old and he's still a full-time pastor uh, on the Cape in Hyannis. And he wants to be a full-time pastor until the day he dies. Uh, that's, that's a true statement. He doesn't ever want to retire. My mom has different plans, but my dad 
Uh, he wants to keep going. He wants to die with his boots on. And the quote that I've heard my dad say more than anything else, right? I mean, other than I, I had a good dad, so he, I, I heard I love you, but I'm, I'm talking like, 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 a, like an axiom, like a quote, uh, is, is this. He said, live so as to fling your shadow across eternity. Isn't that good? Live so, I, think about that for a second. Live your life so as to fling your shadow across eternity. That's the legacy we're talking about. Uh, living our lives in the kind of way that eternity is different because, because we breathed air, because we existed. Uh, this is going to take us, uh, this is going to require that we see everything that we own, every opportunity that we face, every struggle we encounter as a gift to be leveraged for the glory of God and the expansion of God's kingdom purposes in the world. And we've spent a lot of time this year talking about the way that we leverage our lives. And today I want to give you a self-test. Right, so I'm going to give you three questions to ask yourself. That's what we're doing today. That's the whole. That's the whole outline for the sermon. You're going to get three questions, and I want you to ask yourself these three questions. And these three questions are a self-test to determine whether or not you are in control of your money, or if your money is in control of you. Um, Bible has a lot to say about about money, and. Um, I don't know that any of it is bad. Like the Bible speaks about money as being amoral. Like it's not good or bad. It's what we do with it that could be good or bad. There are warnings for sure, but often these warnings come with blessings. Uh, like Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says that it is God who's given you the ability to create wealth. And that is, that's an awesome gift. Um, and at the beginning of that verse came a warning. And the beginning of the verse says, be careful, those of you who say, by my own hands have I created my wealth. Uh, and it said, who gave you those hands by which you have created your wealth? And the obvious answer to that question is God. You didn't choose anything about the way that you were born. You didn't choose to be born even. You didn't choose to be born. Uh, your mom and dad may not have even chosen you to be born. Like you might have been a surprise, right? We have a surprise he actually came home from college yesterday. Uh, we don't call him a surprise. <laughs> uh, we don't call him a surprise uh, because not all surprises are good, right? We call him a bonus. Everybody loves a bonus, yes or no? A bonus is never bad. A bonus is never bad. So he is our bonus baby. Uh, he, he knows he's the bonus baby. Uh, and that's, so he, he's like, I'm the one that only God chose. Right, that's that's Ryan. He's 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 touched. He's touched. Uh, yeah, he'll actually be here in the. Uh, I, actually, I think he might be in this service. If he's in this service. I've used his name. He is in this service. Dang it! I see him in the back. Crap! Now, because my deal with my kids is, is if I use their name, I owe them five bucks for every time I use their name. So I think I'm up to ten bucks, Rhino. Crap! That's fifteen. That's fifteen. But nobody in here is a self-made, nobody in here is a self-made man. In a grace church, we don't mind, we don't, like, it's not an awkward thing for us as a church family to talk about money, because this really is the most generous church I've ever been a part of in my entire life. Uh, most of us who are Christians who are part of this church family, we, we get this, and God does, we do give to God before we pay our mortgage. We give to God before Amazon and Hulu and Netflix, like, we don't give God leftovers, we don't give them crumbs. 
uh, God comes right off the top. That's why every single weekend here at Grace Church, when we get to the offering part at the very end of the service, I say, and I've been saying this since the very first Sunday of Grace Church's existence, when we take up offering, we say, if you showed up today in need, you came to the what? Right church. So if you don't have any groceries in your pantry, if, you're about, if you, you don't have any groceries in your pantry, about to have your utilities shut off or your kids need, let us know. And we'll buy them for you before you go home today. And we do. Every single weekend in all of our locations, we help families that are struggling financially. And that money doesn't come from a denomination in Chicago or Atlanta or anywhere else. That, the money that we use to do good in the world comes from the people that are sitting around you. Like this is a very generous church. So this isn't like a, a guilt sermon or anything like that at all. It's just that money is the number one thing that we all care, care about. Like, we, we care a lot about money. Every, I mean, as individuals in our country, every, probably everywhere in the world, we really, really, really care about money. How many of you guys wish you made more money? Raise your hand. If your hand ain't up, you a liar. <laughs> Everybody, even the richest person in this room, wants to make what? More. Everybody wants to make more money. Um, Ecclesiastes says that the godly leave an inheritance for their children and their children's children. Like, that's a good thing. Godly people leave an inheritance for their kids. That's my favorite verse I quote to my dad. That's true. I have quoted that verse to him more than any other verse. I was like, Dad, you know that verse, right? Ecclesiastes, right? The godly shall leave an inheritance to their children and their children's children. And he's like, I'm leaving you a good reputation. Shut up. That's your reputation. That's your, that's, that's your inheritance. He says, he says oh, there's a bumper sticker. It was popular in the 90s. said, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. Has anybody seen that? I think that was my dad's trademark. 2 Corinthians 9.10, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat, and in the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources. And why does God provide for you and increase your resources? What does the last part of that verse say? Because he wants to produce a great harvest of what in you? Which is the same thing you want. I don't think there's anybody in here who doesn't want to be a generous person. Like there's something on the inside of you that truthfully, especially if you're a Christian, you you want to be a generous person. And this is also God's intention for you. It's why he's given you what he's given you so that you can actually be the kind of person that you're trying to become. Um, but there's a famous war warning about loving money that, that even if you're not religious, you've probably heard before, you might not have known where it was at. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says this. And, and here's a warning. But people who long to be rich... People who are chasing money, people who chase money, people who long to be rich fall into what? Temptation. And some of us have found ourselves doing that. We've compromised our integrity or we've cut corners. We've been a little bit shady so that we could get a little bit more money. So the scripture said, just be careful. Your desire to always make more brings you to places of temptation that you might not be prepared for. The next part of that verse says, and uh, the, the, those who, the people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. We have a phrase for those things called, now called get-rich-quick schemes, right? For the love of money, this is the famous part, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of, we've all heard that one before, and some people, and he's specifically talking about people of faith, 
Some people craving money have wandered away even from their faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So here's the biblical principle. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's a lot of people in our church that have wealth. As long as your wealth doesn't have you. That's it, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this. No one can serve two masters. This is Jesus. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus picks who's the number one competition for the master of our lives with God. Who's God's number one competition? Because he's talking about serving two masters. One of those masters is God. And so he's going to pick another master that is universal. That everybody struggles with. And it's the number one competition for God's priority in your heart. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to what? Can't do both. So according to Jesus, what is the number one competition for God being master of your heart? Money being master of your heart. It's the number one competition for God in your life. Some of us have been followers of Jesus for a long time. And as when we turned from our disobedience towards God, our selfishness towards others, the Bible calls that sin, and we accepted that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection fully pays off our debt before God. And we called on Jesus to forgive us and to save us, and he did. He placed his Holy Spirit in us. And now things that we used to do that never bothered us, all of a sudden now it's weird, like we don't feel good doing those things anymore because that's God's Holy Spirit conforming us to the image of Christ. And there's a whole bunch of theological things I could say about that. We've, we've had sermons about that before, but God then begins to shape us differently. And so now I'm intrinsically motivated to live my life differently. Whereas before, maybe if you were raised in church, a strict church or whatever, you were extrinsically or externally forced to do the right thing. Once God becomes a part of your life, you're now intrinsically motivated to do this. And it does seem like one of the last dominoes to fall in somebody's life is them giving their money to God, making God first in their money. It's the last one to fall. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll stop drinking. We'll, we'll, we'll clean up our language. We'll start spending more time with our kids. We'll prioritize our spouse. We'll be more, like, compassionate towards others. But when it comes to the money thing, like, like there's some of us, none of most of us, there's some of us right now who are like, I picked the wrong day to go to church, dang it. Right? Now, I don't feel awkward talking about this. Uh, but if you feel awkward about it, there's a reason. Like, I haven't said anything bad or mean. I haven't even told you what to do. I'm just saying the number one competition for God in your heart is your money. And if you feel weird about this sermon, <laughs> then that might be a little warning light for you that this is personal. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that this is, I don't know who you are and who's feeling this way because I'm, I'm not God. But if you're feeling some kind of way, that, that might be God going, yeah, this is the one thing that you do prioritize over me because it's the one thing that you've told God he can't have. Like we've given God every year of our life, but the one thing we love more than him. And that's all Jesus is saying. Like, you just need to be honest with what you love or who you love more than anything else. That's all. Because that's, 
That's a problem, is what it is. The truth is you're going to use one to serve the other. They're on the opposite sides of your faith seesaw. Now, two weeks ago, I said teeter-totter, and you guys looked at me like I was an idiot. How many of you guys say teeter-totter? Only those of us born or everywhere outside of New England. All right. Uh, we say teeter-totter. Uh, then you guys, you guys, I'm a, I'm a you guys now, but the rest of us here in New England, we say what? Seesaw. So I actually did an, uh, an etymology study on this this past week. I really did to see who's right. And the first time uh, teeter-totter is used in the English language in print is in 1905. And the first time seesaw is used in the English language in print is in the 1720s. So you guys win. It's a seesaw. But God and money are on opposite ends of the seesaw of your faith. That's what Jesus is saying. Like you, You're going to have to pick. You're going to use one to serve the other. But you can't chose, chase them both equally. One is the one you worship. And the other one is the one you use for the one you worship. So I'm going to give you those three questions. Here's the first question. First question is this. This is what I want you to write down. Ask yourself. Do I right now have enough money? Do I right now have enough money? That's the first question I want you to ask. Do I have enough money? And everybody in here in unison says, no. Isn't that crazy? There are people in here that if you knew what they made, you would gladly switch places with them. Yes or no? But they just said no also. So if you got as much money as them, guess what you would want? More money. And then if you got more money, what would you want? More money. And then if you got more money, what would you want? I got about 10 more minutes of this. You guys are like, how long is this guy going to go? Like, we always want more. Rockefeller was famously asked, how, how much money is enough? You know what Rockefeller said? He said, one more dollar. One more dollar. That, that, that made me want to say, make, make me holler, honey boo-boo child. Anybody remember that meme? Anybody? No? No other trailer park trash in here? Just me? I'm the only one? Okay. <laughs> Bunch of freaking liars again. I'm changing my sermon next week. If you make $30,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If you make $80,000 in the world, not in America, in the world, if you make $80,000, you're in the top 0.01% in the world. Isn't that crazy? 99% of the rest of the world would gladly trade places with every single person in this room financially. Now, we don't think we're rich because we're comparing ourselves to people that have more. Right? But have you been, like, some of us have been some places, and it changes your perspective. Some of us come from some places, and we have a different perspective. Like, everybody in here is far more blessed than you think. Like, in that, in the Our Father, we pray, give us this day our isn't that a weird prayer? Like, that's completely foreign. Like, why would we? Like, there's nobody in here who's worried about their food today. Um, there might be, and if you are, come see me or Pastor Ricardo in the Connections Center. 
and Grace Church will take care of you today. But for the most part, like we've worked really hard to never have to pray that. I don't ever want to pray, give me today food. And we've worked really hard to make sure that that's something we don't have to depend on God for. It's part of the Our Father. And for, I don't know, maybe 99% of the world, it's relevant. Just not you or me, right? Paul teaches us that the godly learn to be content in whatever financial situation they're in, trusting that God has given me right now what God intends me to have. Uh, Tim Tebow used to famously put Philippians 4.13 on his eye black. Uh, Steph Curry has put it on his uh, sneakers before. How many of you guys have ever seen an athlete use Philippians 4.13? That verse says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I think the idea behind it for an athlete is that I can dunk this basketball through Christ who gives me strength. I can beat the crap out of the other team who, by the way, some of them are Christians too, and they're wearing Philippians 4.13. So I got up in heaven and was like, I don't know what to do. They all love me. <laughs> but in the context of Philippians chapter 4, the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, like the verses before that, Paul says, I have had a lot and I have had nothing. I have slept in a comfortable bed and I have been homeless. I have been comfortable and I have been in chains. I have learned to be content in all things because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That verse, Philippians 4.13, has to do with being okay with what you've got and where you're at right now. That's what that verse talks about. I can right now be okay with what I make through Christ who gives me strength. I can right now be okay being single through Christ who gives me strength. I am right now okay being married through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> but dear Lord, give me strength. Right? That's what that verse is talking about. Like you right now, like is God sovereign or not? Does God love you? Yes or no? then God has right now given you what God wants you to have right now. Not a dollar more, not a dollar less. If you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with. If you're unfaithful with little, you'll be unfaithful with. And if you're not being faithful right now with what you have right now, why would God give you more to be unfaithful with? If you are having a difficult time managing the money you do have, why would God give you more money to mismanage? Would any good father do that? Set their kid up for failure. So maybe the one thing all of us ought to do is just do better with what we've already got. Maybe what you've already got right now is enough to already be obedient to God and be a generous person. Or God has failed you. I mean, he's been faithful to everybody else who's ever lived, but you're the one he broke his record for because he just wanted to, like, mess with you. Now, a lot of us were not handed very many man good financial management tools by our parents, and so we've repeated some of their mistakes. And if that's the case, in most of our locations throughout the year, we have Financial Peace University classes. Now, 
that's a, the Dave Ramsey, how to budget your money. And it's 10 weeks long. All 10 weeks are good, but the first four weeks are what you really need, right? First four weeks are what you really need. And I think the curriculum, we don't charge anything for that class, but you have to buy the curriculum from their website. And I think that's like $100 or something like that. If you even had a problem with that, we would help you with it. I'm just saying, if you have a hard time managing the money you have, there are resources here at Grace Church to help you and your family get out of debt and to get better with your money. We, it's an important, like it's, it's the number one, money is the number one reason for divorce in our country. Did you know that? It's the number one reason for divorce. Like, this is a big deal to us. Like, money is like a huge thing in our lives. So it completely makes sense to me that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. Did you guys know that? He talked about money more than faith and prayer combined. That's crazy. Like, that's, he talked about money more than, because it's the number one thing. It's the reason why you can't sleep at night. It's the reason why you don't spend time with your kids. It's the reason why you fight with your spouse. And it just got real quiet up in here. I'll keep moving. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.10, talking about being content. Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have what? Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings happiness. No one ever has enough. And I think the danger of money is that it's, it has the ability to buy us all of our other idols. I think that's the allure of it. It's the one idol that gets us all the other idols. Well, if I have enough money, I can get all the girls. If I get enough money, I can get the cars. If I get enough money, I get the followers, I get the influence, I get the power, I get the fame. Like money buys me all of the other competitions for God. That's what it does. It's, it's, it's the, uh, yeah. It also offers us only what God, what God only wanted us to seek from him, which is security. So the more money I have, like think back to a time in your life where you were financially insecure. You guys are like, like today? <laughs> some of you guys are like, that's why I'm in church. I'm trying to get some extra credit from Jesus right now. So that Jesus will help me out with my money. That's why we're here. Um, but we work really hard not to need God. It's it's true. That's part of the that's part of the that's part of the reason why we worship it. Like it it acts as a functional savior, is what it does. Um, but it doesn't offer us much happiness. Seems like uh, I think they say. I think what it is, credit. It's not in my notes, um, but so I'm just going to tell you how I remember it. Somebody can Google it later, and and tell me where the, where the study is. But they say once your household income reaches seventy thousand, your quality of life does not increase beyond that, because at seventy thousand, that's when your basic needs are all. That's when you you're you're not going week to week now. Now that's about three years old. So that's before pandemic study is what that was. But, but it was, it was like once you're like your quality of like the quality of your life is like the happiness, your ability to like be stressless, like the, the anxiety that's in your heart. Like if you, if you make less than that, you probably feel some type of, if your household income is less than that, like you're, you're, you, you feel you, like you're in a struggle. But once your household income gets to that 
number, like the quality of your life does not increase. Your happiness does not increase at the same rate as your income. And um, Jim Carrey, that wise theologian from The Mask, he famously said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Some of you guys are like, I'd just like to test that theory. The things that we own, like it's, it's not those, like there's an internal struggle that we have that we think if I get more, if I have more, then I'm going to be happy. Tom Brady also famously said after his third Serpa Bowl, he said, um, why do I, moment of silence for the Brady family, uh, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, me. I think, God, there's got to be more to life than this. what? Uh, my dad, again, this is the third time dad comes up. His favorite movie is Fiddler on the Roof. How many of you guys have ever seen that Christmas movie? It's not a Christmas movie at all. It's about a Jewish family in Tsarist Russia that's being pushed out by the communists. But my dad makes us watch it every Christmas. That's a true story. I don't know why. His mother was half Jewish. So he's like, remember your roots. Play the fiddle. So that's, we watched the movie. Anyway, Tavia is the, is the main guy in the movie. And Tavia is a struggling a dairy farmer. Uh, and he's got four daughters, so, which means he has to come up with a dowry for all four girls or they don't get married to good guys. So he's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like he's, like, he's already poor and his daughters are coming of age. And so like, he's just got all kinds of financial problems. And Tavia is in his barn and he's all by himself. And he, he's talking to God out loud. And he's like, I know that they say that being rich is a curse. And then he says this, he said, if being rich is a curse, then may you strike me with it and may I never recover. <laughs> Isn't that good? I thought that was great. Proverbs 18, 11 says, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. What if your money wasn't protecting you from risk, but was insulating you from the voice of God? What if there were things that could tangibly be changed in the world through you and what you have? But that was off limits to God. Maybe the best indicator to see whether I've allowed my money to wall myself off from God is asking the second question. Here's the second question. First is, do I have enough? And the answer to that is yes. You have exactly enough that God wants you to have right now to be faithful with. Right now, you have what God wants you to have. Not a penny more, not a penny less. Second question, do I find it difficult to give to God? Most people would say that if they had more money, they would be more faithful in giving to God. I was talking to a friend about this uh, at the end of last week. And we were talking about Manna Worldwide, which is our church's mission vehicle that we use to connect with indigenous church planters that are trying to meet the needs of their communities and villages. Uh, We're not looking to sponsor Americans going over. I want to find people in that country who are from that country, who are devoted followers of Jesus, who are trying to make a difference in their own country. And we want to empower them. That's what we want to do. So like in in Haiti and Sierra Leone, in Mongolia, in most of these places, we sponsor local people that MANA has vetted for us. And there's financial transparency and accountability and all that kind of stuff. That's why we use them, because they do all that 
that stuff on our behalf. And the president of Manor, or the former president of Manor's name is Bruce. And Bruce every year takes wealthy businessmen or just businessmen that have companies that have money because companies also like to be charitable. And uh, so he, he takes these guys on it. He's got like two or three of these trips a year where they go to places that don't have a project yet and they just dream. He's got these businessmen and women in this room and it's like, here's the need in the community. What are some of the ideas? And they all come up with this idea. And these people through their businesses, they can drop like crazy amounts of money and make this happen. And, and most businesses try to be charitable. And if there's a Christian person who runs a company or is in charge of that, that outlet of their company's uh, uh, benevolence, um, they'll want to do it with humanitarian efforts that have some kind of a faith-based connection. And so Bruce takes these guys on this trip. So they were in Romania. And um, uh, this is about uh, a few years ago that, no, no, this was actually a couple of months ago because Bruce said it happened uh, this year. Uh, anyway, uh, the guy asked, they came back from the trip, and the guy said, what would it take to buy the property, to build the building, to staff it, and just get this going? He said, well, Bruce said it'd be $600,000. And he goes, well, I want to help with that. And he said, man, anything you want to do would be great. He goes, all right, I'll call you tomorrow. And the guy called back the next day and said that he, his mom, and his sister, they're all, you know, they, he said, we'll send you a check by the end of the week. And so they're building that new project in, in Romania. And I was sharing that story with this friend of mine, and the friend of mine said, man, if I was rich, I would, I would do good with it too. You would just do more of what you're already doing. That's what you would do. Having money doesn't make you a better person. It exaggerates the person you already were. How many of you guys knew that already? All right. Uh, multiple studies actually show that the more money somebody makes, the smaller percentage they give to charity. If you love money more than what money can be used for, then letting go of it will always be difficult. But if you're a Christian, you can learn to flip the switch and fall in love with the good that your money will do. Then giving suddenly becomes exciting. And there's a lot of stories of people in our church like that. Mark chapter 12, verse 40, 41 tells us a story of something that happened in the life of Jesus and his disciples. It says, uh, verse 41, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and uh, watched as the crowds dropped in their money. So that's just a weird thing that Jesus did. He goes to the temple and he just sits behind the money box and just watches. And all these people come in and they drop their money and, what's up? They walk by the offering box and the next dude comes up and they all drop in all their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to himself after the widow came in and dropped two little coins. What were they, dimes, nickels, pennies? Quarters? No, no. I mean, they're. How many of you ever heard this story? This lady, the widow's mite. Widow's mite is is uh, the story. Cause so in the in the uh, that's what it was called. It was called a mite. That's like a penny, man. Like like that's a that's a mite. That's a nothing. That's what that is. That's a nothing. Uh, that's not even a stamp. That's like one stick of gum. That's that's what she got. She put in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and he said. I tell you the truth that this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. They gave a portion of their leftovers is what they did. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. So in one way, she gave less than everyone else, but in a bigger way, she gave more than everyone else. 
If this lady was your aunt and she told you that this was her last two coins and I'm going to go to temple and I'm going to give it to God, what would your advice been for her? Would you have let her do it? Now, I, mean, I don't want you to answer out loud. Like, I'd, I'm not confident I would have given the right answer to her. Like, if she said, I'm thinking about giving, well, isn't that all you have left? Well, yeah, so I'm going to give it to God. I don't, maybe God gave that to you to do something else with it. I don't know. I don't know. Go buy some apples and resell them for more. What the heck? You're going to give your last, your last two coins? Could Jesus have stopped her? Yes or no? Did he stop her? Yes or no? Why? Maybe he knew that God could do a better job taking care of her once she had given everything than what those two coins could have done for her if she'd have kept them. Maybe? Based on what she gave, could we all agree that her faith was not in her money but in her God? What does your giving say about your faith? It says something. What I give to God, it says something, right? It says something. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 18 says, teach those who are rich in this world. And in our head, we're like, rich in America? Because I ain't rich in America. But that's not what it said, is it? Teach those who are rich in this world. Who is rich in this world? Everybody say me. Everybody say me. Right? Right? Who is rich in this world? In this world? Me. In this world. In America? Not me. Right? In America? Not me. Uh, Of everybody that lives at Seaver Street? At 90 Seaver Street? Me. And my son wants every bit of it, but I'm not going to say his name or he'll get a little bit more of it. (laughs) Tell everybody who is rich in this world not to be proud and not to put their trust in their money because it is what? It's unreliable. Anybody invest in crypto? Anyone? Anyone? FTX? Anyone? Anyone? Moment of silence. Right? Now's that. Now, now, hey, if you got cash laying around, now's the time to jump in though, right? Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for enjoyment. And that's what Jesus knew that the woman knew. That God could give her everything that she needed. That she needed God more than she needed those two quarters. Tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Who is rich in this world? Me. Where should we not put our trust? In our money? Where should my trust be? In God. Who gives me all that I need to enjoy? God. So use what he gives you to do good beyond yourself. I'll give you a scary prayer that I dare you to start praying. I pray it here at Grace Church sometimes. Out loud. You've heard me pray it if you've been coming for a while. And the prayer is this. Dear God, bless me to the degree that I am willing to be a blessing to others. What if your prayer was, dear God, bless me with as much money as I'm obedient to you with? What would you make next week? (laughs) I just, I was going to make a joke about 
Never mind. I just heard something pucker. That's all I'm saying. Right? Everybody just clenched real quick. Right? God bless me to the degree that I am willing to be obedient to you and generous to others. And don't give me a dime more than that. But what if you could pray that prayer? Dear God, bless me to the degree that I'm, that I'm obedient to you and generous towards others. That would be an awesome thing because then you'd become like a faucet, right? Then you become God's middleman. Then God would look at you and he would go, I can trust that kid. Everything I give to that kid, he uses for something good. I can trust that kid with little. Look what he's doing with little. So if I can trust him with little, what can I trust him with? Like, I want to be found faithful. I want God to go. When I want something to happen in Romania, I'm going to put Sean on that trip. Why? Because Sean makes crap happen. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that finds, like, I want to go, I want, I want Sean to find out about that single mom. Why? Because I already know what Sean does with his money, and I know he'll help her. He does. Like, I want to be that guy. But I can't be that guy if I'm not that guy. Like, you either are or you are not. And there's only one person who can flip that switch. And that brings me to the third question. Is there money in my bank account but no peace in my heart? Oh, that was an audible reaction on that one. Money can solve a ton of problems. And I started listing them and I was like, oh, they're all obvious. We all know the problems that money can solve, but money can't fix the things that are most important to us. Money can't fix my relationship with my parents. Money won't make me a better dad. Money can't reconcile you to the things that happened to you in your past. Money can't heal a broken heart or mend a dysfunctional relationship. Money can't give me purpose or meaning. And money doesn't take away stress or anxiety. It just changes my anxiety and my stress. Money is a shallow substitute for God. Solomon, one of the wealthiest men who's ever lived, wrote a few things. I'm going to read that. Proverbs 15, 14. Better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure in inner turmoil. He said, I'd rather be poor but be in a healthy relationship with God than be rich and on the inside live with all this conflict. Proverbs 23, 4, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Proverbs 22, 1, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being high esteem is better than silver or gold. And that's the verse my dad quotes back to me when I talk about that inheritance thing. I'm giving you a great reputation. That's better than silver or gold. It doesn't spend on Amazon, though. <laughs> Proverbs 21, 26, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. I love this prayer that Solomon makes at the end of Proverbs. Chapter 31 is about the ideal woman. Read it sometime. Proverbs 30 is like his closing remarks. And in Proverbs 30, chapter 7 to 9, he says, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me neither tell a lie. Second, and I love this prayer, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my need because if I grow rich... I may deny you and say, who needs God? I'm all set. And if I'm too poor, I may become a thief and thus insult God's holy name. Don't make me so rich 
that I get fresh with you. And don't make me so poor that I sin against you. Put me somewhere in that big middle. So if you ain't Elon Musk, and you ain't sleeping in your car, if you're sleeping in your car, please let us know. But if you're not sleeping in your car, right? And you ain't Elon, like, you're actually right where you need to be. And you right now already have everything you need to be obedient and faithful to God and generous to others. You have enough right now to give, to be generous, and to do good. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So live a godly life. You already have everything you need to be obedient to God and faithful. So be obedient and faithful and like do this. Like if you're waiting, then you're going to be waiting for the rest of your life because you're never going to get there. It's like the couple that says, I'm going to wait until we have enough money to have kids. Well, then you're never going to have what? Just have them and you'll figure it out. Just be faithful and God will provide. Don't live to earn, earn to give. Don't let what you make determine who you were made to be. Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and God will give you everything that you need because he can see that he can trust you. Do you believe you have enough right now to be faithful to God right now? The answer should be yes, you do. If you find it difficult to give what you have, then what you have may be more of an idol in your heart than you thought it was. There's a possibility that you are not the master of your money, but your money has now become the master of you. Money is a great tool to be leveraged for the glory of God and the good of others, but it's a horrible purpose for which to live and will always leave you hungry for more. So if you want to never be satisfied, keep chasing it. On the other side of your giving are a ton of changed lives, which is true. There's a lot of good in the world that we've already started doing. There's a ton more we need to do. And one of those lives that are end up going to be changed will probably be yours. That's what's on the other side of your giving. Your life may change. But I can't do that for you. You can. So let's pray. God, let your will be done in our lives, in, in all of our lives. Uh, truthfully, God, you have, we've all been given by you more than you owe. You don't owe us anything. You, I didn't choose to be born with all of my body parts working and my mind. Um, I, didn't, I didn't choose my personality. I didn't, I didn't choose my intelligence. Uh, God, everything that I have uh, comes from some tool that you put in my toolbox when I was born. Nobody in this room is a self-made man or woman. All we've ever done is leveraged things you gave us in our lives. And so all of it belongs to you. God, everything about our life is a gift. And help us to live in a way that shows that we are actually grateful. We want to be generous, but we're all a little selfish because there's a little bit of fear. And the fear comes from a lack of trust, I think. I'm afraid that if I obey you, if I give, that I'll have less and that might hurt me. And that's because I feel like I'm the only one looking out for me. 
And that is inconsistent with everything the Scripture says about those who are generous. You are good. You do love us. You actually care about where we're at, what we have, and what we do. Dear God, change our hearts. Change us from the inside out. Do in us right now with regard to the way we look at our money, whatever you want, so that you can do through our lives, with our money, whatever you, whatever you dreamed. Just put it in our heart. Help us to hold on to stuff with a looser grip. Everything that comes into our hands, let us be willing to give out of our hands. Let me be a faucet. I, I, like I, I want that. I, I want when you're coming up with plans to make a difference in the world, I, I want to be on your draft list. I, I, want, I want you to put me in the path of needs because you know that I'm faithful. I, I want that. I really do. I don't want to miss any awesome thing you intend to do through my life. I do want to live my life so as to fling my shadow across eternity. I think all of us want that. We just need to make tougher decisions. Give us courage to trust you more is my prayer and make the world a better place because we lived in it. And it's for your sake and your glory that we would do that. We love you with all of our hearts, and we say thank you. And we pray in the name of Jesus, and we all say together, amen.